This is the Faith Debate, a theological roundtable gab fest, a free-for-all forum with faith community leaders wrestling over the truth. In less than one half hour, learn more about what really matters than what most others learn in a week. The Faith Debate is on the World Wide Web at WFMD.com, keyword faith. Are you ready for the clash of ideas? Are you ready for the sound of freedom? Let's get ready to rumble in this corner, weighing in with a master of divinity from Reformed Theological Seminary, the Faith Debate Master of Ceremonies, oh, yeah. <laughs> Troy Skinner. We are tackling the heavy issues starting last week, now this week, and for the next couple weeks after this. We're looking at what the biblical understanding of quote-unquote race is and, and how do we navigate uh, this issue that's become so tough for our culture, for our society right now? It's, uh, we've come, we've come unhinged. We're off, the, we're off the track. We're off the rails. <laughs> our wheels are flying off. All, all, all the little cliches they they seem to apply all of a sudden, you know. Uh, so we definitely want to uh, to understand this, and in, a, in in the faith debate, we want to understand it from a faith perspective. And I come at things from a biblical Christian perspective, and so that's what we're going to do. We started last week with the biblical understanding of "quote unquote" race, and we're going to finish the, the thoughts from that discussion. And then the next two weeks, we're going to get into a discussion that's still ta- tackling the same issue, but grappling with uh, with it from a slightly different angle, understanding that it is not really a race war so much as it's a spiritual war so there's a tease for next week but uh, enough about that for next week let's get into finishing up what we started last week and talk about this week here on the faith debate on 930 wfmd so now what does any of this have to do with a biblical <laughs> understanding of race and what's dominating the news cycle right now black lives matter what does any of this have to do with that i'm talking about all these other things you know the uh, gay rights and transgender rights and, and uh, different and, 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 and different economic classes and Marxism and, and Freudianism and all this sort of stuff. What does all that have to do with Black Lives Matter? Well, let me quote directly from the Black Lives Matter website, the Foundation's website. This is uh, three paragraphs directly from their website. Quote, the Black Lives Matter Global Network is as powerful as it is because of our membership, our partners, our supporters, our staff, and you. Our continued commitment to liberation for all black people means we are continuing the work of our ancestors and fighting for our collective freedom because it is our duty. Every day we recommit to healing ourselves and each other and to co-creating alongside comrades, allies, and family a culture where each person feels seen, heard, and supported. Now I'm going to pause. We already see there's this liberation theology thing kicking in, kind of, the collectivism idea, comrade, which is a very Marxist word. So you can kind of already get a flavor. Next paragraph. We are guided by the fact that all black lives matter, regardless of actual or perceived sexual identity, gender identity, gender expression, economic status, ability, disability, religious beliefs or disbeliefs, immigration status or location. We make space for transgender brothers and sisters to participate and lead. We are self-reflective and do the work required to dismantle cisgender privilege and uplift black trans folk, especially black trans women, who continue to be disproportionately impacted by trans antagonistic violence. 
We build a space that affirms black women and is free from sexism, misogyny, and environments in which men are centered. We practice empathy, we engage comrades, there's that word again, with the intent to learn about and connect with their context. Did you see all those groups? All those identity groups? All the intersectionality groups that were mentioned in that paragraph? One more paragraph. We dismantle the patriarchal practice that requires mothers to work double shifts so that they can mother in private even as they participate in public justice work. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. We foster a queer-affirming network. When we gather, we do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking, or rather the belief that all in the world are heterosexual unless she, he, or they disclose otherwise. We embody the practice of justice, liberation, and peace in our engagements with one another. What does most of that have to do with black lives mattering? I don't want to fall prey to arguing on their turf, but generally speaking, polling data has strongly suggested that the black community in this country is socially rather conservative when it comes to these sorts of things, that they're not all about being against heteronormative thinking, that they're not all about queer affirming. Some of them are, but as a group, not necessarily. And so if I, if I were a black person and I'm going to this website to see how they're going to help me and make my life matter, and I'm reading things about gender expression and gender identity and sexual identity and transgenderism and looking at cisgender negatively as a privilege and sexism, misogyny. What does any of that have to do with my Black Life Matter? You can see that Black Lives Matter, the organization, has a bigger worldview movement that they are advocating and pushing for. And they're using the Black lives matter label and the issue that's so prominent in the news cycle right now is a shoehorn to get in to advance their larger agenda and i can't prove this it's just an assumption and a, and a suspicion maybe that i have once they've accomplished what they hope to accomplish by making use of the black lives matter moniker they're going to kick black lives to the curb because they don't really ultimately care about that. They care about establishing cultural Marxism worldwide. So, all of that said, what is race? What is race according to the world? How does the world understand race and why? The present day conception of race really has its beginnings. It's not that long ago, historically speaking, it's not that long. It's like the early 1800s. And there was this uh, craniologist named Samuel Morton, um, and he collected a whole bunch of human skulls, and he measured them, and he attempted to compare the, the brain size of, of uh, human groups, as he categorized them, into five human ethnic groups which we have now come to call these ethnic groups 
races. And he believed that the bigger the skull, the bigger the brain, and the bigger the brain, the more intelligent the group. First of all, that's horrible pseudoscience. That's not true. Uh, two humans, one has a larger brain than the other, can be dumber than a box of rocks, and the one with a smaller brain can be brilliant. Like the brain size doesn't correlate automatically to intelligence. So it's, it's a bad assumption to begin with. And now, what were his groups, one might wonder? Well, he categorized them as Ethiopian or African, Native American, Caucasian, Malay or Malaysian, Indonesian, and Mongolian, Asian. Now, let me put those into the cat, those five categories under the labels we typically use today. Ethiopian or African, black. Native American, red. Caucasian, white. Uh, Malay, brown. And Mongolian, yellow. Sound familiar? Are those the racial categories we use today in the world? Those are the racial categories, quote unquote, that Morton used. And Morton claimed that whites as a group had bigger brains than blacks as a group. And he used this as justification for guess what? Chattel slavery. So these racial, quote unquote, categorizations that we've all, we, we've grown up with and we use without thinking, have their roots in a racist, quote unquote, system in a prejudiced system. We need to be more careful about the language that we use. So now let's compare that to what the Bible says about race. What is race according to the Bible? The Bible, you could make an argument that the Bible says that there are two races. One of these would be the human race connected by the blood of Adam. Race has to do with progenitorship and the, the, the genome, our, our DNA, our bloodline. So me and my parents and their parents and their parents and their parents and their parents, you go all the way back until you run out of parents until you get all the way down to Adam, because all of us derive from Adam. We all have the bloodline of Adam. Even Eve springs from Adam. So we all have Adam's blood. We're all part of the same race, the same line, the human race. We're all connected through the blood of Adam. We all share in the blood of Adam. So what's the second race? Well, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you, talking to Christians, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So Peter here is saying that in a sense, you could argue that Christians are a new race. You can make an argument that Christians are biracial. We don't surrender belonging to the human race. We're still part and connected through Adam's blood. We're still part of the human race through Adam's blood, but now we're part of the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ through Christ's blood. It's still a bloodline. And so you can make an argument that in the physical, material realm, we're all connected to Adam, all one race. And in the spiritual realm, we all belong to Christ. And you can make an argument that in the spiritual realm, 
uh, if you don't belong to Christ, you belong to the devil. And uh, maybe everybody's biracial <laughs> in that sense. So, and it's interesting, we're born from and we're born into the human race. Right? We're, when, when our mothers gave birth to us, we were born into the line of Adam. We were born into the human race. And it's interesting that for Christians, we are born again. And we are born into the bloodline of Christ, the spiritual bloodline of Christ. So that would be the biblical understanding of race. In a physical universe concept, there is but one race biblically. And if we start talking about blacks are one race and whites are another race and browns are another race and yellows are another race and reds are another race, we are speaking unbiblically. We are speaking the way that the quote-unquote racists who were advocating for slavery in the 1800s spoke about it. So I'm trying to retrain myself. I'll be honest. I'm catching myself and I'm working hard at it. I can still slip up. I'm trying not to use the words the way the world is using them. I'm not going to talk about racism unless I say quote-unquote anymore. I want to talk about prejudices and biases. and Those things are true, but I don't want to talk about racism because there's only one race. And I'm borrowing upon their intellectual capital to use their words. And it just reinforces this falsehood, this, this, this lie that we've all bought into. There are people who have political agendas in mind that are capitalizing on the moment to advance their ends, to get us to their end. There are people um, who absolutely hate President Trump and populism, because not just Trump, it's a movement that's bigger than Trump. I mean, the Brexit movement is an example of that. There's a pop, Bernie Sanders, for crying out loud, is a populist. So there's a, there's a populist undercurrent going on, and um, the... The established bureaucracies and uh, credentialed class, those who have been rich and famous and powerful for a long time, don't like this populist wave. And so they're, they're fighting for their political lives to fight back against that. And so there's definitely, I think, a lot of truth in what Jerry wrote in the comments section. However, I would like to add, they're making use of the tools available to them to advance their fight this worldview shift from modernism into postmodernism and all of these different theories and, and labels that I provided the definitions to, this has been brewing for decades. It's coming to a head now, but it's been brewing for decades, and no matter what happens in November, we're going to be dealing with this sort of worldview shift for a while. And there have only been a handful of people paying, you know who's been the best on this, and you want to write this name down, uh, if, you, uh, maybe, if you need me to spell it for you, for at least the last 10, maybe 15, 20 years, uh, Pastor Vodi Bakum has been all over this issue. He has been talking about it, writing about it, teaching about it, preaching about it consistently and well for a long time. And I think for a long time, he probably felt like a voice in the wilderness, you know, like nobody's paying attention to him. In fact, he got a lot of pushback and criticism from other evangelicals, which is kind of sad to know. In fact, he got so, I don't, I don't know if words, I don't know how he would say it. From my perspective, he got so discouraged, but uh, he ended up moving to Zambia. He couldn't even deal with, 
what was going on here, the attacks coming from friendly fire, it seems to me, and he went somewhere else where he wouldn't have to take on so much fire. So Buddy Bauckham is a guy that you should know. Todd Friel, more recently, has been pretty good on talking about this, and I think it's because Todd is friends with Bodie. And I think Bodie's had a lot of influence on Todd, so those two have been really good on this. So anyway. Interesting, too, because, you know, the sinister part of it, there are people, I totally believe this is true, there are people holding up Black Lives Matter signs, marching on streets of protest peacefully, who their heart's in the right place, and they're advocating for their black friends' neighbors' neighborhoods to be treated with respect and fairly, and for each individual black person to have a interaction that is just with police and with the legal system, and that's where their heart is. But then the underbelly of who's really behind this and the movement, and you can see in parallel, I mentioned that this whole categorization of humans into these five racial groups, quote-unquote, is not biblical. And at the same time that that's going on, it's used as a defense for slavery, what else is going on in the 1800s? The whole, the precursors to eugenics. And the abortion industry, Margaret Sanger, overly racist, and looked at it as compassionate because these poor black people can't, they got it hard enough, they're so disadvantaged, they have smaller brains, they're not as capable, they're basically like mud people, and the fewer of them, the better. The better for them if there's fewer of them. Like if somebody's struggling to get by, we don't want to give them another hungry mouth to feed, so we're doing them a favor by sterilizing their men or by murdering their children. And it's not an accident, the overwhelming majority of abortion clinics in this country are in black neighborhoods. Overwhelming, I think it's like 80% or something like that of the abortion clinics in, the, in this country are in black neighborhoods. How'd that happen? They're 13 or 14% of the population as, a, as an ethnic group. It makes no sense. And was the other thing? Oh, the black-on-black uh, um, black crime that is mostly happening in really disadvantaged, economically speaking, inner-city environments where we have entire communities that have been that are absent of hope because they've been robbed of that hope. But why have those communities lost so much hope? Because the family structure doesn't exist anymore. Back in the late 1950s. Um, I think it's I think it's around 80% of, of black families in this country were intact nuclear families, meaning it was a husband, a wife, and their kids living together. I think this is pretty close to I think it's around 80%. And now it's about 80% in the reverse. It's only 20% of black families are intact nuclear families. And that has devastated the black family and the black community and the black neighborhood and has robbed them of hope, and men don't feel valued and important. In fact, people are penalized and punished if they have a husband in the home. They have the same economic struggles, but they can't get the same economic help and relief if they're married. So we've set them up for failure, and their communities fall apart. And then what does the Black Lives Matter Foundation say? They say they want to undercut traditional families. They don't want to have nuclear families. The very thing that is destroying black families is the very thing that Black Lives Matter Foundation wants more of.
That's an important thing, you know, the, the relevance thing. That's been a big move in the church the last 20 years, a hyper-focus on being culturally relevant. And, uh, again, I'm big on defining our terms, and I think it's important for us to understand that if what we mean by that is is meeting the cultural context where they are, to meet them where they are right. so that they hear us and they feel heard as well, that's one thing. But contextualizing is different than relevancy because relevancy too often is about seeding ground so that you join in with them and become worldly. And that's and that's a real problem and a danger. Um, I'm going to mention one last thought before we maybe look at some other comments. You know, so my phone might die on me in a few minutes anyway. I don't know if my battery wasn't fully charged. Uh, but on the colorblind thing, I know there are some people that uh, that look more like Angela than they look like me or Dina, who are offended when they hear you know somebody say that they're colorblind or I don't see color and stuff. And and I get it because part of it might be they feel like you're being disingenuous, you're not being honest. I mean, obviously you can see color. What do you? You don't really mean that, so you're trying to virtue signal somehow, and they're offended. But some people, like Dina, when she says that, she's not virtue signaling. She's saying that she's no respecter of persons when it comes to that sort of thing. Yeah. Sure, she's going to see that somebody has darker complexion skin than somebody else, just like she's going to see one person has acne. Or one person or has red hair, another person has blonde hair, another person has brown hair. But you're not making judgments. You're not no. using any sort of discernment on what to think about that person based on those things. And I think that is the biblical prescription for that is, yeah, we want to notice if somebody has a, a, a beautiful tanned complexion or somebody has a beautiful milky complexion, we're going to maybe appreciate that and say, wow, what a beautiful complexion they have. We're not blind to it, but we're not making a judgment on who they are as a person, or not making a judgment on whether they deserve to hear the gospel or not, or not making any presuppositions about their economic uh, uh, well-being, or their intellectual capacity, or any of those sorts of things. And certainly, when God looks at us, he notices all that we are, you know, and all that is what we are. But he's judging us by our heart, by our character, by our commitment to him and to his truth. And uh, in that sense, he's not seeing us for our color, even though God made all of the colors. I don't even like the word color, to be honest. I'm trying to change that part of my language, too. Uh, this is because of what he walked in there. flesh. He says, we're all the same color. We're just different shades of the same color. <laughs> you know? So... Uh, Skin tone and skin shade maybe is a better way to think about it than that we're completely different colors. I don't know, but I want to give, encourage you. Critical race theory is uh, a secular humanist idea. It is a racist in its core idea. Racist the way the world typically uses the word racist. The biblical idea isn't a theory at all. It is biblical truth. It is it is what God has revealed uh, to us. About, no, 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 I, and, and I'm, not, and I'm not being critical of how she said that, but I want to make sure that people understand kind of where I'm coming from. There is the truth, and then there's everything else. <laughs> <laughs> and the truth is found in God's Word, and God tells us that we are all part of one human race. And we don't have to, we can debate it to defend that truth, but we don't have to debate it as though it's merely a theory up for debate.
uh, we as Christians, Bible-believing Christians, can have ultimate confidence that that is the truth. And anybody who says otherwise, no matter how persuasive they might seem at first, or seem on the surface, or how any credentials they have after their name, or how fancy their office is, or how full their bookshelf is, it doesn't matter if they disagree with biblical truth, they're wrong. It's as simple as that. And we're going to end on that note. I hope this uh, episode has been helpful to you last week's as well. And we are going to uh, continue tackling this issue in our next couple of episodes of the Faith Debate as well, so stay tuned for that. You can find teasers of what's coming up in future weeks, what's been on recently. Find access to all of our podcasts at WFMD.com. Go to the Faith Debate page, or you can go to the Audio Vault for the podcast, but the podcasts are also on the Faith Debate page. And you can go to our Facebook page, WFMD's Facebook page. You can go to my personal Facebook page if you want. I'm just Troy Skinner on social media, so you can find me pretty easily. I'm also on MeWe and Gab and Parlor. Spend most of my time actually on MeWe and Parlor these days. And there's a website I want to point you to as well if you want to learn even more about what I'm up to and the issues we're tackling in the Facebook. Uh, uh, Facebook? <laughs> Facebook. Man, I almost called it the face debate. <laughs> Getting punchy here. I don't know what's going on all of a sudden. The faith debate. Uh, anyway, Household of Faith in Christ is the website I'm trying to get get, to, get around to mentioning here. Household of Faith in Christ has information about what we're doing here on the show and also what I'm doing with the uh, church, the Household of Faith in Christ uh, that I pastor. It's a house church, and if you're interested in finding out about more of that, just reach out to me on social media. We can talk about it. Till next week, thanks for listening. God bless. <laughs>